Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're starting off a new chapter in Genesis. We're beginning to look at the story of Judith and Tamar uh, as contained within Genesis 38. We're going to spend two or three days in this chapter and I've given an overall title to it, uh, God is Faithful. Now, a quick reminder, I'd just like to say that if you've arrived here for the first time today, there's always a transcript available of every talk I give, and that can be found in the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. They're hosted on buzzsprout.com, excuse me, but you might be receiving it anywhere on iTunes, Apple, Spotify, any of the podcast platforms. doesn't really matter if it's the audio version. Have a look in the episode notes and you'll find a transcript there, uh, as well as different ways of connecting with the ministry. Now, the transcript is in the public domain. I don't put copyright on anything I say or any of the transcript text. They're free for you to use, you to use in whatever way you want in the development of your own ministry or just in your personal study time with the Lord. But anyway, that's it for today, and let, what we'll do is now is we'll just drop in to the main text and pick up at the beginning of Genesis. I'll see you at the end, hopefully. Bye for now. Hi friends, welcome back. As I said, we're launching off today in Genesis chapter 38, the first of several days, looking at this chapter of the narrative, looking at the story of Judith and Tamar. And I've called this next couple of days, the title for it, God is Faithful. And we know that God is faithful. The Bible states that in plain language and also does it in some very significant passages in various places. In fact, I would suggest that the entire book of Genesis that this idea of the faithfulness of God has been a recurring theme throughout it. And in fact, it's stated here again. In the New Testament also, it's very clearly stated that this is God's remit and God's purpose. His purpose and his plan is to remain faithful to his promises. It says it very, very straightforwardly in plain statements like 1 John 1.19, where it tells us that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there it is, very straightforward pain language, reminding us that God is always faithful and just to forgive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide you with a way out so that you can endure it. So there you see, there it is again, friends. God will not allow you to be tempted over, above and beyond what you can bear. But also, when we face its challenges, this tells us he will provide us with a way out of it. Or at least he will give us the emotional and spiritual resources to either escape it or endure it. So these are two illustrations, and there are others. I'm just saying that the Bible uses very plain language throughout to repeatedly tell us that God is faithful. 
Now, the Bible also illustrates this truth in a number of different stories and different ways. But even so, many miss the unbelievable extent to which God's purpose and one of the main themes and the main things he wants to communicate through the Bible is his faithfulness to us, his faithfulness to his promises, no matter what. As we've journeyed through the start of the Bible together in the book of Genesis, I've been impressed with the very fact that this is clearly a major theme of this opening book. Think about what we've been through lately. He's been telling us stories repeatedly that demonstrate the faithfulness of God, his fa- the faithfulness to keep his promises. Now today we're going to begin to look at another one of those stories and it's contained within Genesis chapter 38. Now when we have read the text recently in this book of the Bible, particularly chapter 37 last time, it was about the life of Joseph. So a few days ago I said we were entering a large section of this book in the close of Genesis and most of it would be about Joseph. But also there are a couple of segues into other narratives. And it's worth noting that this is one of those and it doesn't actually in this chapter really tell us anything about Joseph. But we remember when we launched off at chapter 37, I talked about this being a a section break and the phrase, this is the generation of Jacob was used as a way of introducing a new section. But then, and the next thing he does is he told us about this guy, Jacob and Judah or Jacob don't get mentioned for a while. So while the main focus in this closing chapter is on Joseph, we've got to remember the overall context all being placed in is it unpacking for us the story of Jacob and his ancestors. So today we're going to look at what happened in this situation and not at Joseph for a while. But I also, also what I want to point out is when we look at this chapter, it's going to cover probably a span of around 20 years and really unpack for us another one of Jacob's son and it's going to look at some incidents in the life of Judah. Now there are some ramifications in this chapter, one of which is that it will give us, very importantly, the three branches of the tribe of Judah. The other thing I need to say before we approach this uh, story is this is one of very of several very sordid stories that are in the Bible. And this one is going to be pretty blunt. The book of Judges probably has some of the grossest stories of all in the Bible. But I'm telling you, friends, this one gives it a close run. At least after this story, we will have covered the, all the gruesome stories that are contained within the book of Genesis. So this is going to be the last one for a while. One commentator I saw said this chapter is very rarely read or studied in in public and not surprisingly when you look at the content. So I want to give you a disclaimer before we look at this chapter. You know, this story would fit very well into the trashiest of modern soap operas, but we need to remember that God allowed it to appear within the narrative of the Bible. So there has to be important things we can learn from it. Anyway, with that all in mind, let's begin to look at Genesis chapter 38, and I'll begin by reading verse 1 for you.
it tells us at that time Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Tara. There Judith met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, who was named Er. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kizeb that she gave birth to him. So three sons there, you notice that. Now it begins, it opens this opening chapter of 38, begins by saying, at that time. So what time is it? Well, obviously it's a reference to what has just occurred in chapter 37. And what had happened in 37 is we had just seen Joseph get sold into slavery. So he's now down in Egypt or been taken down to Egypt. And this is what's going on while these events take place. But we'll come back to that later. So at the time Joseph is sold into slavery, then Judah leaves his brothers and he visits an Adullamite named Hara. Now Adullam is not far from the home. From where he was to where he went is probably no more than about eight miles, the Bible experts tell me. But the point is he's leaving home to do this. And then the next verse tells us that there was a certain Canaanite. And remember, Jacob's children are not supposed to marry Canaanites. God is trying to keep the family line pure. In other words, keep it through the Jewish line, the nation of Israel, because he's intending to use that line to bring a Messiah to the world. God doesn't want the children, the sons and daughters of Jacob marrying Canaanites, because for a whole bunch of reasons... Well, not the least of one of which is that it's very likely going to lead them into idolatry because they are idolatrous, as well as just pollute the line. So he doesn't want them to have anything to do with that on that sort of a level. However, Judah still disobediently marries a Canaanite woman, and that woman is identified as the daughter of a man called Shua. And then we find out he sleeps with her, and she conceives and gives birth to a son, and, he, and the name given to that son was Er, and then she conceives again and has another son and she calls the second one Onan and then she conceives a third time and has another son and she calls him Sheila and that's a boy's name, a man's name, not maybe a lady's name as we in the modern context might think. So the point is she has three sons and that's an important plot point here. So these first in opening five verses are telling nothing more than Judah marries a Canaanite woman and has three sons. But then the story takes a turn and begins to get uh, even more interesting. Verse 6. Judah got a wife for Er, that's his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Wow. Now, obviously, if the first verse tells us that she had three sons and now he's getting a wife for one, this has got to be years later. That's why I said at the beginning about this story covers a span of at least 20 years. So he, he goes and gets a wife for his eldest son, the one named Er, and her name is Tamar. But Er, it appears, is a really nasty piece of work. And it seems he is so wicked, in fact, it says that God killed him. 
Now, maybe you, like me, have wondered what it is that he specifically did that was so evil in the eyes of the Lord that the Lord felt he needed to step in and kill him. Well, the truth is, we don't have a clue. The only thing we are told it is something wicked. The New Testament does refer to what it calls sins unto death. And there are some signs in the Bible, it would appear that you obviously can commit a sin serious enough but sometimes the Lord simply says, that's it for you. You're done. You're out of here. Now, scholars for centuries have debated what that sin might be or have been on this occasion. And all that they can come up with is that it was serious. Now, some also say that it would have been serious and persistent. Now, I've heard that, but I'm not fully persuaded by the persistent aspect. I'm not sure that that's accurate because there clearly are people in the Bible whose sin is seen to be persistent, particularly in the Old Testament, and the Lord still doesn't kill them. But he did on this occasion. To me, I think it probably has something to do more with bringing discredit upon the church or the faith community as it was in those days. In other words, publicly, by their actions, bringing disgrace into the public domain in some way. In the New Testament, of course, there is that example of someone who pretended to sell their property and donate it to the church, but they publicly lied about it to the faith community and by nature the wider community, which could have been a huge discredit. And the Lord said to them, you're out of here. At any rate, in this story, the firstborn son did something so grievous that that son died. And that's, I suppose, really all we need to know in pertaining to this particular story. Anyway, back into the text, and verse 8 continues the story when it says, Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife, and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law, to raise up offspring for your brother. Now this may strike us as a bit strange in our modern culture, but there's nothing unusual about this, at this time in the ancient world. The idea was very important, was that you needed to carry, needed children to carry on a family line. And in the case of Israel, God had given the tribe certain portions of land, and they were supposed to have children to keep those portions of land within the correct family lines. So the rule was that if a man died and he didn't have a son, then his brother would, in fact, should marry the widowed wife and raise up an heir for his brother's line through her via him. And it was all completely legal and legitimate. So Judah here does what is the normal thing to do and asks the second son to marry the widow of the firstborn so that the firstborn can still have an heir. But the thing you need to know beyond that is if he did that, then the second child would be heir, the child born, sorry, would be heir to the firstborn deceased child and not the heir of the secondborn natural father. That was the whole deal, that you were giving the firstborn line the legitimate heir. Which is why it tells us, in the next verse, but Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. 
This is one of the most significant statements in the story, of uh, uh, in this story, as blunt and as uh, unexpedited it is. But then what? We need to know that the phrase in verse nine to keep him from providing an offspring for his brother, that is important. There's real intent here. Important because he didn't really, obviously, didn't really want his brother to have an an heir which is a very unloving, but more importantly, an unrighteous thing to do in that time, because it was in direct conflict with the way God expected to be, things to be done in those days. And God's plan and purpose, of course, was to build up the nation of Israel and ensure the land was allocated correctly across the 12 tribes. So it was this thing that was so displeased the Lord, and therefore it tells us, the Lord killed him also. Now we know why this one died. We are told, it's not like the first one, the Lord was so displeased with his actions that the Lord said to him, you know what, time's up, buddy. And he stepped in and he killed him or allowed him to die. The narrative continues, picking up in verse 11. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamer, live as a widow in your father's household, until my son Sheila, that's the youngest one, grows up. For he thought, too, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamer went to live in her father's household. Now remember, there's going to be a huge age difference here. She can still have a son in the, in the future, and the first one will be the, uh, uh, the first child born to her, even by this third son when he's old enough, will be the heir of the firstborn. So that's the plan, you get it? The third son isn't old enough yet to marry her or consummate the marriage uh, with the widow of the first two, but that's the long-term plan. But then things seem to get, well, I can describe it, interesting. Picking up on tw verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Adamalite, went with him. When Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Inam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Sheila had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife okay so judah's on his way and tamar takes off her clothes and covers herself with a veil and she sits down in an open place on the road on the route that she knows her father-in-law will be taking remember the third son is now grown up at this time so many think that these events are occurring over at least a period of 20 years now this lad is still the youngest, but now he's capable of marrying her, yet he's still not been given to her as a wife. So he's old enough to do that, but it still haven't happened. So what this is saying is that the third son is old enough to marry her, but for some reason Judah hasn't given this third son yet to be a husband for her. So strike three, you might say. So the first two husbands have died, and now the third one is old enough to get married to Tamer, but it hasn't happened yet. So I wonder what's going on and what he's going to do next 
what Judah's going to do next. Well, you know, friends, what he does next is really quite shocking. And we'll find that out and try and understand what it means in the next episode. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Remember I said at the start, you can connect to this ministry in many different ways by the links and the episode notes page. There you'll find links to the YouTube channel, my Facebook page, and other ways that you can connect to the teaching, as well as my Patreon page, which is a place for patrons, people who support the ministry, and I put some extra exclusive material and resources and make those available there. But the important thing I'd like to say to each and every one of you is thank you so much for joining me on this journey. It is an amazing encouragement to me to know that there are so many thousands of you out there choosing to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives. I do hope you're benefiting from it as much as I am. And if you are benefiting from it, why not consider uh, sharing it or liking it on your social media accounts because I'm told that that will enable this teaching, the, the Bible and the understanding of it to be discovered by many, many more people. And if you want to make sure you don't uh, miss a single episode as we do this amazing project together, why not subscribe so that you make sure you get each uh, day's study directly into your in inbox. But other than that, I'd just like to say thank you. I'd like to say thank you particularly for those of you who pray for me and this ministry. Pray that I might have the, the physical uh, health and the emotional stamina, if you like, to continue this journey day by day for what I estimate will probably be about five years. So thank you so much for that commitment if you're doing that. But anyway, that's it for today. Thanks again for joining me. And I hope to see you back here tomorrow. That'll be tomorrow for me, whatever day it happens to be for you, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.